Do not attempt to adjust the picture. Do you remember that we were supposed to leave G32 at like 4.30, bus at 5.30, and they got on the mic like, problem with the plane, we're leaving at 5.30 now. And everyone was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> no, if we had, listen, if G32, it was VIP session. <laughs> then you had, you had a VIP in the VIP. Lamar, <laughs> listen, Lamar Odom had his own VIP section. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that surprised me on the last dance, um, MJ admitted to being upset that Barkley won the 93 MVP over him. Um, is there any award in your career you feel you should have won? Let's be honest now. And, and Sue, we'll start with you. Oh, me first. <laughs> no time to think. Um, not really. I mean... It, because it's a question we're here and I have to answer, I'll say in 2008 WNBA season, I kind of felt like I could have, it was like the one year where I had a chance to get MVP. And I'm not saying it should have happened. I think Candace Parker got it as a rookie that year, if memory serves. And it was kind of like a weird year because there were some players that were out. And so it was kind of this chance. We had some injuries and I kind of held it down. And it was like the one chance I had and I didn't get it. Not that I should have, but... I kind of wish I did. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Mello? Damn. Yo, listen, this is really putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually two. It's two of them, though, right? It's it's in college. They gave the uh, National Player of the Year to TJ Ford. Wow. Um, right? So I was, I, was, I was tight about that. And then rookie year, they gave it to Braun. Of course. Right? So those were those those my two moments. So let me ask you, Mel, did you know in 03, did they give that award before the tournament or during the tournament? Like, did it, did it fire you up going into the tournament? You knew you wasn't getting it? It was, I got the heads up. Got it. Because, of course, you had yeah, maybe the greatest the tournament. Up. You had maybe the greatest tournament run in the history of college, definitely as a freshman, for sure. I appreciate so you, you, you. You used it like Michael did, the same one. Yeah, like, it was just like, yo, I can't believe, like, what? You know, <laughs> and then they started saying like, "Nah, we don't." You know, NCAA they don't give it to freshmen, so I, I, had, I had to deal with all of that. So, yeah. and 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 Mel, it's funny you mentioned the rookie of the year because our producer actually called out that he thought you should have at least been a co-rookie of the MV, uh, of the year. I swear, I thought we was getting co-rookie of the year, man. which they've done a lot. About I was that. gonna say they've done that a bunch of times. We talked. We actually talked about that at that point in time. Like, yo, we getting. We, we co-rookie of the year. Like, we talked about that. Wow. Wow. I love it. Perfect, man. All right. So let's get to it, man. People, welcome to WRTS, the After Party, Uninterrupted's new reaction show. As we've been doing lately, we're breaking down the latest episodes of The Last Dance. I'm your host, Paul Rivera. As always in the After Party, I'm here with a special group of VIPs, the legend Sue Bird, the legend Mr. Carmelo Anthony, and Mr. Three-peat guest himself, Mr. Maverick Carter. What's up, guys? How's everybody What's doing? Up? What's up? Yeah. That's the only yeah. thing that makes me a legend. Three-peat guy. Three-peat on the show. Uh, all right, so let's jump into our discussion for episodes five and six, The Last Dance. Um, obviously, we, we we just saw episodes five and six. Any any big takeaways, any immediate takeaways coming right off of watching them? I'll let the young lady go first. <laughs> young. I like that. Um, 
So I actually, my little like MJ memory popped up during the show today. So I'll start there. And the funny thing about that is it's like, I mean, I was, I was legit 12 years old, diehard Nick fan. I mean, watching those Charles Smith highlights over and over again. Oh I God. mean, him getting blocked really just brought it all back. But um, I had no idea like the gambling, like that he went to AC, that it was like a big issue. Like, I guess my 12 year old self just like wasn't tuning in like that. I was all in on the games and I like just thought it was all basketball. So to see this other side, that stood out right away. Cause I literally thought like, oh shit, he's pissed because it's John Stark's dunk. <laughs> and here we go. So that I was think, wild. I think, I think for me, it was just that he was human, right? And, and now people are getting a chance to see him as a human being. Like and, and instead of this purest of the pure, you know, alien, like he, he, he make mistakes. He, he's done some stuff in, you know, in his past while he was playing. And he's human. And I think he wanted people to understand that he was human. Right. He got tired of just being, you know, this, I said again, the purest of the pure. He actually said it in there, like, you know, the purest of the pure. Yes, everybody make mistakes. Everybody go through stuff. Everybody have things that they love, uh, hobbies. And, and, and it just humanizes them. And I'm glad people are getting a chance to actually see that side of them. Absolutely. Mavi? Yeah, I would say, you know, and obviously Sue and, and Melo as professional athletes can speak to this for sure, but I spent my fair share of time with Melo, with Braun, with lots of athletes. Like, you know, it's it was definitely that part that Melo said of, like, he's human. Shit bothered him. Like, you know, you would think Michael Jordan's is invincible because on the court he was, right? He was invincible. But shit did get to him. And to Sue's point, I think, the, the, the thing I'm enjoying most, again, I've said it before about this doc, is getting to see things that I otherwise forgot. Like, I just forgot it. I, I, I'm, you know, uh, I remember watching all those games, but a lot of that shit I forgot in the whole Atlantic City thing. I remember gambling in general, but the Atlantic City thing specifically, I forgot. And the truth is, as he said, like, you know, they made it a big deal, A, because it was Michael, B, because it was the Eastern Conference Finals, and C, you, the media always needs something to write about. But staying up to 1 o'clock in the morning the night after a game, people understand, like, when you're an athlete, by the way, and the other thing is, like, them drinking beer. I was talking to my dad about this. Them drinking beers after a game. Mel and Sue, you can speak this. After a game, you're hyped up. You're like, your blood has been pumping your heart rate has been at 160, 170 for two straight hours. You actually need a wine or something to bring you down and chill out. And I've talked a lot. Of, it's hard to go to bed. Mel, you, Sue, you probably can say after a game, even if you just sat in the room quiet, you're not going right to sleep. Oh, not at so all. So for not him to go to Atlantic City wasn't that, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal, but they had to write something. But mm -hmm. I've sat in room with many a player and gamble till <laughs> two in the morning, three in the morning, after games, the night before games, for sure. Every player that I know. So, but it's not, it, you know, but the media had to find something to write about. And as a kid, I remember that being a big deal. And now being an adult who's been around athletes and sports, like, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. But I see, I understand why they had to make it a big deal. That's how I felt about him, like the whole book that came out and him like fighting with a teammate. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's normal. Like, who hasn't had a fight with a teammate? But, like, some people just don't understand that. Fight with a teammate, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just, that's that, like, 
But another thing I'll say to that is like, it puts me, like I get the insight from being on the inside now, right? And, and really understanding and putting myself in that, in those times, in that locker room and on those buses and like the, the, the trash talking that everybody was talking and the, the shit, the things that he was saying, right? At the end of the day, and he, how he was talking to people, but it was just, it was always a, it was always from a competitive nature. Like he always had to have one up on that, on, on another person. So him being competitive, like, like Mav said, we, I mean, everybody gambles, man. It's just at that point in time, it wasn't social media, right? It, it, nobody right. was talking about it. It was just him. He was going to gamble. And it was, it was, I, people say it was swept under the rug because it, it wasn't, it wasn't public. You know what I'm saying? It was whispers. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to know that, you really had to call Atlantic City. You really had to call these casinos. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get confirmation. Now, it's, now somebody, <laughs> right, somebody else is going to confirm you with a picture, with a phone, far away. They're going to say you was in there. So it's, it's, it's very different. But I think if today, nobody would even pay attention to that. Nobody would even pay attention. My favorite line, by the way, of these two episodes is after the game, Mike drinking a Miller Light. And he's like, yo, I normally would want a Gatorade, but yada, yada. Scotty was like, shit, I've been thinking about a cold beer since the middle of the fourth quarter. <laughs> and I think it, like, nigga, I wanted a beer in the middle of the fourth. I looked up when the score was tied with, with, with six minutes, and the only thing on my mind was a cold beer. <laughs> that was my favorite part of these two episodes. You know, my, my biggest takeaway, and this wasn't necessarily a takeaway from these episodes, but to your point, Mav, was just like a refresher was like, oh, shit, the Dream Team, 92 Olympics. Mav, I don't know if you know this. We have esteemed Olympic legends joining us today, right? So uh, Mello has three gold medals, right, Mello? That's three? True, true. yes, and, true. And of, and of course, you'll notice a theme here of Sue one-upping us with her hoodie <laughs> And the swag, she has four gold medals. This is in my rotation um, too, by the way, fellas. I got like four of them that just... <laughs> so one thing I didn't realize, and correct me if I'm wrong, Melo, Sue, both your first Olympics was in 04? Mm-hmm. Yes. 04, and you guys stood on the Queen Mary in 04? Yes. Yep. Talk about that experience a little bit, please. What was that like? <laughs> I have a different experience than Sue, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Talk to us, please. Uh, which part? Um, <laughs> if I do a combo memory, what I remember is like you had Melo, LeBron, D Wade were kind of like the young bucks. Then it was like myself, Diana, um, even Tamika Catchings. We were kind of the young bucks, more so me and D. Um, I think Catch might have been starting. We weren't like playing as much. I don't think really like you guys played a little bit too, but not probably as much as as you deserved. So we actually spent like a ton of time in this one uh, establishment on the boat. Uh, I actually remember the name because we chanted it. G32. G32. (laughs) It goes down in infamy. G32. Me too. Yeah, we were there a lot. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I have good memories from that. And then, of course, on the court, it was like my first Olympics. I was totally being groomed. Didn't play much, um, just trying to like learn. Cause the overseas game is so different, you know? And at that point I hadn't played overseas. Um, and real quick, one thing that, the one thing that really shocked me was when Tony Kukoc said he was going to make more in Europe than in his yeah. first, I was like, yeah, whoa, was crazy. that, was that crazy. is yeah. crazy. So and he said millions too, not a little yeah. bit of money, millions. Yeah, millions like, difference. Dang. But yeah. yeah, so so that was the first Olympic experience. Mel 04, Queen. Uh, 
I need, oh, let me get a sip. Hold up. <laughs> now, nah, it was, you know, it, honestly, like looking back at it now, it's like I wouldn't change that experience for nothing, right? Because to, to, to this day, I wouldn't probably be the same person, right? I had to go through something like that. So I just remember like two weeks before everything is about to start, we get the call and then we like, they like, yo, we want y'all to we come to Jacksonville. Right, so we we in Jacksonville. We go into Jacksonville <laughs> two two weeks prior. We there, so we just thinking like, yo, look, we the young boys on the team. We come in like they really need us. Let's go put in the work. <laughs> we get over. We get we go into exhibition little tour. We, first of all, we played Puerto Rico in Jacksonville, which was crazy. Oh, the Puerto uh, Rico game. Yeah, so you know, for me, it was I was, yeah. I, was both, I was both sides. You know, I had both I had both emotions going on. <laughs> but I just remember like AI gets suspended. Amari <laughs> got suspended for coming to the meeting. Like the meeting started early. Say the meeting was seven o'clock. The meeting started at six fifty-eight. You know what I'm saying? So they was they was they was considered late. They didn't play in the game. So anyway, we go to we go to Turkey, we go to a couple other places, and we are we coming off the bench. With firepower, like we we got something to prove. So we started calling ourselves the Young Guns. Now, Mello, when you say we, it's you, Bron. It's me, Bron, D Wade, mm-hmm. uh, Amari. Yeah, so we was yeah, like Amari. the Young Guns, right? So we get over there. Every time we came in the game, we either we either opened the game up or we brought us back from the league, right? So we get to the first game and we playing Puerto Rico again. I look up at the score, man. We down 30. <laughs> we down, I was there. We down 30 to Puerto Rico. All you hear is the, you know, you all you hear Puerto Rico, like you know, so you hear all of that. So we in there, I'm like, man, I'm like, yo, we ain't man, Carlos. Carlos, of course. Yeah, Carlos, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Carlos, man. <laughs> Carlos Arroyo. We on the bench and it's just like we ain't getting in the game. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. We looking up in the stands, we see nothing but Puerto Rico flags. Like it was, it was bittersweet for me, but I was like, damn, I, we ain't play. Like, don't talk to me at all. That's what I remember too, though. I remember you know that for you guys so it was too. Like, and that's how, you know, we, I walked off. I remember walking off and going down like the media path. And they like, oh, Mr. Anthony, like, we want to talk to us about the game. But I, mind you, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just, I ain't played. Go talk you're to somebody com- else who played. Yeah, you're a competitor too. You're upset you didn't play. Yeah. Go talk to somebody else who played. And all all shit broke loose on that. And then uh G32 became my best friend, man. We was Mello remember Pete by the time I sh- I showed up like three weeks into it. And to Mello's point, their coach of that team was Larry Brown. <laughs> That's a big Larry Brown. The Hall of Famer. Of course. The Hall of Famer Larry Pop was the assistant. I think Roy Williams was with y'all too. Roy Williams and Oliver Brunel. Yes. Larry is a legend and we all love him. He's great. But Hall he of Famer. Staun- he is staunchly against playing young guys. <laughs> young guys, yeah. And the problem was Mel, Braun, D Wade, Stat, they got the call super late. It was for Mel, Braun, and D Wade, it was after their rookie. It was their rookie year, had just finished. You know, they just got money. They like the summer. I'm not about to spend the summer. I want to spend the summer back in Baltimore, back in yeah, Iowa, yeah, like yeah. my new cars and plus the cars. <laughs> and they were like, nah, you should play Olympics. And and I remember it was a lot of chatter because at first everybody was like, nah, we're not going. I wasn't going at all. 
They throwing this team together at the last minute. You know, they only they only picked y'all mail because like a couple guys fell out, like KG and Paul Pierce. Everybody, like fell out. yeah, everybody, yeah. <laughs> you considered not playing Melo? Yeah, I wasn't. No, I everybody, wasn't gonna, did. I wasn't going to play. It was just like, what's the point? Like, first of all, y'all didn't want us, right? You know, that <laughs> team was that team. Ben was sick, but everybody started dropping out. Then y'all like, oh, so we got to hurry up. We both in long now. Long. Yes, that's my point. <laughs> Mel- Carmelo, LeBron, Stat, and D-Wade were like the 30th, 31st, thir- like they were the 30th <laughs> guys. They had already called thir- 29 people by the time they called Carmelo, <laughs> then they called LeBron, literally. So they get on the team and Larry Brown is not playing. He's everybody. He's notorious for not playing young guys. He doesn't like their attitudes, nothing. And then you got Mel's 19 or 20 and LeBron's 19 stuck on a boat. You, We were not allowed to leave the boat. They had armed guards. Remember, Sue, you had to go past a guy. Yeah, like people couldn't get on either. You had to get like all kinds of approval to get someone on. Sue, I still have my ID in my drawer. You do? That's, that's yes, impressive. I said, they have P guys with M16s, like the Greek army is guarding the boat. <laughs> By the time I show up, the only thing happening to the gambling point is we're playing cards, going to G32, and Mel's going to remember this. Mel has given up on basketball. He quit. He quit basketball. (laughs) And Pete and Sue... Carmelo turned himself into a recording artist. Yo, I made a song. Now I made a song. Locked up. Locked up. He made it locked up. I remember remember Styles Pete Song was out at the time. Akon. Yes. I'm yes. locked up. So up? at the moment, I just felt a connection to that song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat in, in Greece, in Athens. First of all, I don't know anything about Athens at that point in time. I don't know how beautiful it is. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't know the history. Nothing. But you can't even experience it, even if you did, because nah. we're not, you are they are not allowed to leave the boat. We wasn't allowed to leave, we wasn't allowed to leave the boat. So I said, you know what? And that was the only song I was playing at that time. Lean Back Remix. The Lean Back Remix. That's what I was I was like, but I remember Lean Back Remix. Hey, so let me ask you this. So, so G30, G32 was the club on the Queen Mary? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the club yes. was the Queen Mary. Yep. But P, Mello completely remixed Locked Up. He had his own lyrics and recorded the joint. He... He, he won't remember the lyrics, but Melo, you remember you had a Jones. You know you got to give us one bar, Melo. <laughs> one bar. I don't. I don't. I don't remember the lyrics. Now. I don't, I don't remember the lyrics. There's a gem I, out there. I used, the I used to walk him in the hallway singing this all day long. Day long. Only way coping with what was going on. He was Bron. Bron and AI told me he would be. They would be going through plays in practice, and Mel would be sitting on the ba- on the baseline singing, "I'm locked up, I can't go home, I'm locked up." Yo, and one last tidbit, which Carmelo will remember. So the starting five on that team was Steph, AI, Sean Marion, I think, Richard started? Jefferson, and, and Tim, Tim Duncan. Duncan. Tim Duncan, yeah, Tim Duncan. Definitely. So, so Marion and Richard Jefferson, obviously, small forwards. Carmelo and LeBron made a pact, and that if we pulled the, oh, that's a fact. if we pulled the numbers right now, Carmelo and LeBron 
destroyed Sean Marion and Richard Jefferson every time they played him the following year. Do you remember year. the conversation, Matt? Do you remember those conversations we had, though? I, re- I remember them generally, but not... Yes, but LeBron, had, I remember you guys made a pact. Like, yeah. every time you face Sean Marion and Richard Jefferson, because they started over them on the Olympic team, what was the convos, Melo? It was just more like when we made that pact, right? It was just like, yo, they... Like, what? We not they playing in front of us? Really? <laughs> like that was that was me and Braun's mentality. But then we used to go to practice, and in practice, that was our games. Like we used to hug, like we used to huddle up before practice and be like, yo, listen, let's go to war. Like we want to smoke today. Like if they ain't ready to play today, it's on. You know what I'm saying? We used to make them so high. And, and, and Melo and Sue, you, you guys now as veterans, though, you guys now as veterans, you can imagine the vets will probably show up to practice like light walk through. You know, you're I not trying to go hard yeah. and practice. Yeah, and you, you guys, the young bucks. You got to think the vets back then, was, they was arrogant. You know what I'm saying? Mm. They was, exactly. They wasn't They wasn't like, yo, I got you young and like, I, I got you, I'm going to take care of you. It was not. Nah, you in the, you in the island of this, you know, by yourself. You got to for yourself. I've had that conversation with Richard Jefferson to Melo's point. That's the Michael Jordan and Melo. He used Richard Jefferson and Marion starting over him as motivation to bust their ass. Absolutely. I remember I asked, I asked Richard Jefferson about it. He was like, Melo and Brian kicked my ass every day in that following year. <laughs> and I had nothing to do with nothing it. It was, do Larry, with it. <laughs> it was Larry Brown's choice. It wasn't my, I didn't do anything. You know what I'm saying? But, to, but that's, that's caliber of players like Melo. And Michael Jordan, the same thing. They find anything like, oh, the coach is of playing course, you. Of course. Okay, when I see you, I'm kicking your ass. Parallels between Carmelo's experience and mine, are, it's like crazy because we kind of had like this young, like there was the starters and you've got legends, right? Like it, they had, if they were cocky, they had reason to be because it's like Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Dawn Staley, Tina Thompson, Katie Smith, like legends. They're starters. And then you had me, Diana, uh, Swing Cash, um, Yolanda Griffith actually would play with the Young Bucks and then like Ruth yeah. Riley. Mm. Yeah. And so we were the same way every day in practice. Cause you're, and you know that now, like you brought up a good point, you know, now, like when you're the vet, you're kind of walking into practice, like, all right, let's get through this. But we were the, we were like every day we would bust our ass. We would kill them every day. I'm, I'm like, not even ask anybody. We would kill them every day. I don't think they cared. Like looking at, now that I'm the vet, I know they didn't care. But every day we were like, "Yup, like this is our games because we're it's not like playing." Like Melo said, ones. "This is our this yeah. is our game time." <laughs> like that's all we had. But that's yeah, amazing. it was interesting. So watching the, the the dream team practice, we definitely had some battles like that. But what it actually reminded me of, which is kind of off topic, was when we play overseas. Like all of us go overseas to play. You have these like Yankee type teams that are just like stacked, you know? Mm. I could name names all day, like name every, it would be like two WNBA all-star teams playing against each other. So actually picture a WNBA or an NBA all-star game, right? That kind of talent, but there's actually stakes. You're playing for EuroLeague finals. You're playing for Mm. a Russian league finals. So when I watch that practice, and obviously I've heard of that practice like numerous times, the first thing I think of is like all the overseas games where the teams were just stacked and we were actually playing for something like legit. I mean, some of it was money too, but you're playing for like something. <laughs> so you can imagine like how intense those games would be. Of course, Absolutely. of course. Um, one of the things that was super interesting, you know, having worked at Nike, you know, earlier on in my career was seeing MJ go through, you know, that, you know, shoe um, recruitment or negotiation process. Mav, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off with you. Did that remind you back to you going through, you know, the Nike and shoe deal situation with LeBron, I guess, 20 years ago, 18 years ago now? For two and a half years when I worked at Nike, 
Nike basketball was getting their ass handed to them. AI was at Reebok. Kobe was still at Adidas. KG left Nike to go to Adidas. Chris Webber left Nike to go to Dada. 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 Yeah. Spinners. Tim, Dada. Tim, Dun- <laughs> Tim, Duncan, Tim Duncan left Nike to go to Adidas. So And Tracy McGrady was at Adidas. Forget about it. Adidas was on fire. They had Kobe, Tim Duncan... KG went to and one and started his own thing. They were going to give him his own line called Original Black Family, blah, 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 blah. Paul Pierce and Jermaine O'Neal had signature shoes, but they were regional. So Jamal, uh, Jermaine sold in Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. And blah, blah, blah. So 03 comes. It's going to be everybody's, you know, it's Melo just wins the national title. LeBron's got the most hype we've seen as a high school player since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Nike's Nike does the the Scarface. Do you want to play rough? Say hello to my little friend. They sign Melo, put him on Jordan. They sign LeBron, put him on Nike. They sign D Wade, put him on Converse. They're like, we are not. They're like Nike. They made a point like Nike basketball is important. Basketball is important to us as a company. This is a very important draft class. We know it. And from that moment, since that moment, since 03, Nike basketball. The numbers have come way back, and obviously, and one has faded, and Adidas has come and went. But I, I, I know that I know that feeling, and I, I, I actually worked at the company then, like they did with Michael. When it's like, okay, at, at the point they got Michael was like they didn't have basketball, so it's like we are going hard at basketball, and we got our guy. In '03, I saw it like, oh, basketball needs a total rejuvenation. And we have a group of players here that are not only going to rejuvenate basketball, but we're making a huge bet that they rejuvenate Nike. Mel, Mel lived it. I mean, he is that yeah, guy. Yeah, and Mel, I'm guessing you were probably 18, right? 18? I was, I was 19. I was 19 coming out of college. 19? Bron- 19? Bron- 17, about to be 18. Got you. What's yep. that like? You know, you're negotiating with Brand Jordan. Was Mike at all part of the process? Did you talk to him? Like, what was that recruitment process? <laughs> Mike, Mike, that those conversations was, was intense. It was, but I, you, you got to remember, I went to Oak Hill my senior year, so we was a Jordan school. Already. That's right. And I just remember, prior to that, I was all my teams was Adidas. So I went to ABCD camp. I didn't mm. go to Nike camp. So then I went to Oak Hill, and we had a tournament here, actually here in Portland. <laughs> they do the, they put a uh, uh, the Les Rob tournament. I think here in Portland, and that was for me to be, you know, for for me to be in front of all the Nike reps and everybody, and we actually won the tournament. And I just remember going back to Oak Hill, leaving Oak Hill, going to Syracuse. Once we won the national championship, I was still in school, but back then you had to wait till you get out of school to go, you know, talk to negotiate, you know, go go to the, the brands and the shoe companies, but I was able to do it while I was still in school. After we won, it was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going out there, I'm flying out there, let's talk. And <clears throat> I didn't really know anything about that, you know, that part of the business. People don't know, my first year, I was signed to Nike. Uh, right? I didn't have wow. a, I didn't have I didn't a signature shoe because I don't, the brand at that point in time, I was the first signature athlete at the brand. I was about to say that. So... Melo, well, you were the first signature I athlete first, at I Jordan? Was the first signature athlete at Jordan. I got two tidbits to add. Yes, I was the first signature athlete. And Besides I remember, Michael. Right. I remember 
it, there wasn't a plan at that point in time, right? But LeBron was at Nike and MJ stepped up and said, look, I'll take, I'll pay half, Nike pay half. Look, I'll take Melo, y'all got LeBron, Converse got D-Wade and Bosch and, you know, they, they, they had a crew over there at Converse. And my first sneak I ever played with in Jordans was like, uh, like 16.5s or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember playing in my first game as a rookie or preseason and the sneaker came off as I was playing. Oh, and I was shit. like, you know what? I'm not playing, I'm not playing in a, you know, another retro again. I'm playing, let's, let's work on this signature shoe. And that's how everything, that's how everything started. I can tell you two tidbits. And a lot of this, I'll be thinking about this. This is like shit that one day me and Mel are going to be somewhere <laughs> 20 years from now getting, <laughs> getting toasted, reliving this shit. <laughs> but two things he just brought up that struck my mind. A, two summers before Carmelo signed with Jordan, he showed up at Adidas he left summer school. Yes. Adidas did, always did a great thing. They always did a great job of making sure if these three players were the best players, they played against each other at camp. Well, Mello, camp was like a camp was a week. Braun is a year behind Melo in, in high school. But Melo, the best player is not Melo. It's this guy, Lenny Cook, who we've all yeah. heard of. They made sure Lenny Cook, Melo, and Braun all played against each other that week. But Mel couldn't stay the whole week because he had summer school. Correct. He showed up, I think, for two days, played against Lenny Cook and left. He was great, did his thing. But most importantly, Carmelo showed up to Adidas ABCD camp in Teaneck, New Jersey. With Jordan. Jordan's on. <laughs> he's the only guy. No, he's going to be the only guy. To ever. And Melo, they, they, they let you play? I was at summer school at Oak Hill. And he took the challenge. He won the challenge like I'm on the way. Yes. And, and, and at the time, Nike, had, I was on a waiting list for Nike All-American camp my, that year. And I had to go to Oak Hill for summer school. And Sonny calls and said, listen, this is who's going to be at camp. Lenny Cook is going to be at camp. We got the young LeBron going to be at camp. Remember, Sebastian was everything back then. Bassy, right? yeah, right? Bassy, right? of course. You had, like, Raymond Felton, like, who was top, or the, you know, top of the crowd. Anthony Robertson. Anthony Robertson. Yeah. You know, I think Shavlik went to, so yeah, Paul Davis, who wound up going to. Paul Davis, yeah. And I said, who, I said, who you, who, who's my schedule going to be? He said, don't worry about it. I got you, I got you against the people I want to see you against. And the world want to see you against. So I said, Sonny, you got to tell me, but I'm not coming unless you tell me who I'm playing. <laughs> he was like, here's your schedule. You got Lenny Cook first. You got LeBron James second. You got Raymond Felton third. You got Paul Davis fourth. I said, Sonny, book it, babe, book it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm there. I'm, I'm there. I, I wind up going there for one game. I played against Lenny Cook. And I had to get back. I had to fly back. For summer school. Yep. And the second thing I'll leave you with on the mellow side is I was working at Nike. I was literally an employee living in Beaverton <clears throat> when, they, when Jordan Brand signed um, Mello. And we've all watched the doc. Michael Jordan <laughs> is the greatest basketball player we've ever seen. The most competitive motherfucker. Always wants to win. And he always has to have one up on somebody. So you could imagine going to him and saying, Michael, we're going to put this other guy in your shoes 
and you need to give him money and some of your royalty to help you sell your shoes. And Michael's like, help me do what? I'm Michael no, Jordan. Nobody, yeah. I'm Michael Jordan. People buy the shoes because of the jump man. They don't give a fuck about LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony or Ray Allen. And Nike, I remember those. I wasn't, I was too young to be in the meetings, but I would hear about them. We're having a conversation because at that point, Mike had just retired. Remember, 03, Mike played. Okay, yeah. And they were like, no, no, Mike, to keep the brand going, blah, blah, you need other guys. And he was like, okay, well, who do you think? And they presented him Mello, like Nike's going to take LeBron. And Mello was the first guy, first athlete that Mike bet on, that Mike went like, okay, I'll give him a piece of my money. I think he's a guy that could carry on the brand. And he was the, the other guys were just wearing it because they fucked with Mike. They love Mike. Mello was the first guy to get his own shoe that he owned a piece of on the Jordan brand. And I, I was there. Got it. Signature shoes. Miss Sue Bird coming your way. WNBA players, to my knowledge, there's not a current, because there has been, I believe Cheryl Swoops had a signature shoe, mm -hmm. and there may have been another player or two, maybe. D kind of did. Okay, yeah. D. I don't know, yeah. No current player with a signature shoe. Can I get no. your immediate thoughts on that? <laughs> Bullshit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. It's <laughs> my first thought. No, it's, it's kind of, you know, I mean, I think, Mav, you kind of said it, like even listening to men's basketball, it's like at one point, Nike, I don't know what the right word to use is. I wouldn't say ignored per se. I mean, obviously I wasn't around, but, you know, they, they lost some athletes and then it takes like a moment, right, where they're like, oh, shit, we need to go sign this class, Melo, LeBron, right? It takes like this moment. So women's basketball, we're in a moment. We may have had some moments that got missed. It's okay. It's in the past. And now we're in a moment. So I think the hope is now with all the like momentum behind women's basketball, we can get that signature shoe. I would still like it to be like someone from my generation. Like I think Diana does deserve it. That's that to me, it's like, it goes mm -hmm. beyond if she's got, she could play one more year. It's still worth it. But I could mm -hmm. also see them putting their, uh, putting it behind like a young gun. So we'll see. Got it. Good PC answer, Sue. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> you know, on a serious note, you know, this episode started off, you heard um, MJ talking about that little Laker boy, right, at the All-Star game. First of all, obviously, no, this is still a hard one for, you know, the sports world and for us, but um, would love your reactions to seeing Kobe in The Last Dance. The level of respect that we had and we have for Kobe is a lot different than a lot of other people, right? And, 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 the level of respect he had for only a small group of people. Uh, like just seeing him on, on there, like an MJ almost like giving him, you know, passing him the torch, but like, ah, you know, like, nah, I'm not, I'm not ready to give it to you yet. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta show me more. And it's, it's my experience with Kobe, now that watching uh, these last two episodes, I can understand where Kobe was at at that point in time, right? And then Kobe passing the torch to MJ, passing the torch to him. It was just like, you know, Kobe had that mindset. He created that mindset from Michael Jordan. You know, it, it was locked down. Anything in my way, I'm going to try to destroy. Um, he was very competitive on, on every aspect. I don't care what it was, right? So he, he imitated it so much because it was greatness, right? And, and, for me, if I can imitate greatness and I have a chance, that's my goal, then everything I'm going to do 
is going to look like I'm trying to copy him. I'm trying to be like him. But that's not the case. This is my goal. I don't want to be like nobody else. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I want to read MJ. I want to be MJ. I want to be better than MJ. And that's like seeing that to, you know, in these last two episodes, man, I laughed, I chuckled, you know what I'm saying? I got sad a little bit, but at the end of the day, man, that that seed was planted for a reason. It it was meant to be. When when he first came on screen, or maybe you heard his voice first, there was definitely a moment, you know, just like a... You kind of, you heard it, you saw his face, that moment. But then you start, like Melo said, you start hearing him talk, that relationship. Um, obviously, we came to know a little bit more about it when uh, MJ spoke at his memorial. Um, but the two things that really struck me was, one, he actually said something that MJ, I caught MJ um, in an interview that Mike Wilbon did at the Tech Summit All-Star like a year ago. And in that interview, Michael Jordan, he was asked about like comparing, you know, mostly to LeBron and like, the, you know, and he was just like, he kind of, he kind of got like a little subtle thing in there where it was like, well, when I played, it was like grown men. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like young kids. And Kobe said the same thing. So that kind of, that, that kind of stood out. I was like, oh, cause Kobe was like, yeah, like when I came into the league, you know, it was playing against like men. Now it's like all mm-hmm. kids. So I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting, like for them to kind of see that the same. But the other thing is, and this is like the one thing, if I could get Michael Jordan in a room, like just me and him, no, not like I'll never repeat the answer. It's not even about that. What I'm curious is, so Kobe says like, I have five rings because of Michael, right? Like he set the bar, he set the standard in all these ways. He's the measuring stick. So what happens when somebody does get six rings, right? Or maybe seven, whatever the case may be. Do you think like, what I'd want to know is like, Michael, now that you know, because when you're the first I don't think you realize you're setting the bar. You're just kind of doing it. And yeah, he was trying to beat Magic and Larry and all that, but you're just kind of doing it. And now that it's here, I wonder if he would like some, obviously he retired for his own reasons. It's not even about that. I don't care what the reasons are, but I wonder if he could, he would like, in some ways he lost some years to win, if you will. And I would wonder like, once somebody catches up to six, is he going to look back on his career? Like, man, if I'd play those three years, or if I'd play those two years. I, of course. You know, like, I, mean, I, I, think the, I think the competitive nature in him, will do that. But I think now it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit calmer with him. Like, I think he would embrace it a little bit more now than he than he would have in the, in the, in the actual past. And it like, also I'll state this, it's like now understanding who Kobe was, right? And, and I think this MJ doc has really like connected dots on a lot of aspects and just in life in general. And Kobe wanted to Kobe wanted to not emulate him, but he that was his goal is to be MJ or be better than MJ. Quote him, as Sue said, uh, walked around, you know, swag was just like him, like, you know, mentality Facts. was just like him. Facts. For me, it would be the same thing as if I'm coming, I'm coming up under Muhammad Ali, right? I love Muhammad Ali. So anything I say, I quote. And you know what I'm saying? Like when I box, oh, how you know, the, the, the footwork, the shuffle, like. It, that's the same thing. So I want people to kind of understand that and, and see Kobe in a different way now after after this is being shown. Because before it was just like, oh, Kobe wanted to just be like MJ. But those those dots weren't connected. And I think now the dots is connected as to why Kobe uh, had him at the pinnacle and wanted to reach that goal. Agree. Mav, your thoughts when you saw Kobe? Um, I thought Kobe, seeing Kobe, you know, first off, it made me miss him, obviously, and just kind of think about him. And then also, I think, um, to Melo's point and to Sue's point, like, with time, 
you you just your perspective, your point of view changes on so many things. And I think definitely with Kobe's and and definitely with Mike. So when you see Mike in '98 at the All Star game in the locker room, <laughs> the way he was speaking about Kobe was how we all felt. Like, yo, the young kid Kobe is a problem and a beast, but he just he makes it all about himself early in his career. And that's what he did. And you know he shot too much. And Kobe even said, "I was a young guy who airballed a bunch of shots." And Michael was saying that to the rest of the guys in the locker room as though, like, he was giving, showing him respect, but also, like, yo, putting him in his place, too. Not to his face, but a little bit like, yo, he just wants to play one-on-one. He don't know how to play yet. Yeah, he said I wouldn't pass him the ball. If it was, yeah. Which, which as, as Sue and Mello know, when you're as talented as these two are and somebody else is coming, the ultimate sign of respect is a little bit like, hold on. It, it's mm-hmm. you de- I will embrace you eventually, but at the beginning, it's like, yo, you're moving too fast, bro. It, it, you know, it was super interesting to me. If, if you go back, if you have the time to go back and play that scene of MJ in the locker room talking to the other vets, I don't know if MJ even realized that's how people were talking about him his rookie year, right? This guy, this guy doesn't let the game come to himself. This guy's going to force well, it. This guy, it was him. <laughs> It was, it was him, I, like that's, that's it's it happens, man. And, and like when you in sports, and from the outside, from the inside out, like that's what it is, right? When you on the inside, that's what it is, man. It's you have your vet. I, we wasn't embraced when we came in the league in '03 at all. Like they was like, nah, like you ain't no get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like what this kid be more braids? No, get no, get out of here. Like they wasn't embracing this at all. Oh, High school kid, too much hype. They wasn't embracing us, man. And, and I think that moment made us come together even more because mm-hmm. we knew our like we knew our backs was against the wall. And the only way we could come out of this is shooting because everybody was on us. Hence, <laughs> 2004, the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that, they didn't dump, they didn't respect us. It's a story, quick story. Me and Brian gets into it with step with Marbury on the bus. Oh yeah, that's you awesome. know what I'm saying. It's like oh, an Olympics. Yeah, but that APR. Hey, that's for oh, the that's for us. Yeah, that's for us. But we say no more. <laughs> say no more. Sue probably was on that bus. We were all on the same plane on the way to the plane leaving. Yeah, Sue. They brought it. It was the night after everything it was the day after everything yep. was over. Mm-hmm. So everybody was kind of mentally out of it. You know what I'm saying? If you got into a real argument, I'm with you. I'm, we'll take that offline, man. And it was we'll early. Mellow, <laughs> Mello and Step, Mello and Ron end up in a real deal argument on the bus on That's the way fact. to the plane going home. Like, Marbury started going crazy on them. That's a fact. Yes. Six, me, by, me, way, by the way, 6.30 in the morning. Yeah, it was early. Mind you, we had, been a, we had just left G32 at like probably an hour before. At 5.30. Literally. Do you remember that we were supposed to leave G32 at like 4.30, bus at yeah. 5.30, and they got on the mic like, problem with the plane. We're leaving at 5.30 now. And everyone was like, Number one. We had, listen, G32, it was VIP sections. <laughs> then you had, you had a VIP in the VIP. Lamar, listen, Lamar Odom had his own VIP section. He was like DJing, wasn't he? He yes. got behind the DJ table. Yes. Oh, and, hey. and, Marbury, and Marbury got on the bus and specifically went at Mello and Braun like, 
You guys are nothing. You're wasting your talent. Oh You're never going to be good. You didn't help wow. this team. It got serious. And it got like really, like the whole bus had had the whole bus's attention. It was it was wow. crazy, man. And I remember one thing he told us. And I'm honestly mad. Even everything that like we were going back and forth on. Like, even when I think back about it now, it's like, damn, like he was really saying some, he was really saying some real shit to us, but. We wasn't trying to hear that shit. What you no, it, it sounded like hating. It sounded it, like it he was, was hating almost like it was almost like hating. You know, hating on us. I don't now. I, I don't think he was hating us, but he was in his way. He was trying to school us. And I remember I took one thing from him. What he said. He said, "Listen, <laughs> y'all, y'all's trying to y'all want to be buddy buddy." I remember he said, "Y'all want to be y'all want to be buddy buddy when y'all play against each other. I want to see y'all play. You know, guard each other in the fourth quarter, like." Fuck all that buddy buddy shit. He said that, and then he was just like, "You ain't y'all ain't y'all ain't gonna be no star if y'all don't want to guard the best player." Like he started going crazy on us. He started going crazy. Now, oh, let me ask this: God. speaking speaking of vets, was there a vet? Sue, I'll, I'll go to you first. Was there a vet in your career early on that I don't know if I'd say took took you under their wing, but that just helped, right? Just helped show you how to be a pro. Um. Well, since we're on the Olympics topic, um, two come to mind. The first is Cheryl Swoops. It, it actually was, uh, I made the world championship team. So like the two years prior to that, I had just come out of college then. So it's 2002. I've just come out of college. And I'm like, I don't want to say the Christian Leitner, but I'm kind of <laughs> like, you know, I am being groomed. I want to, like, yes, as it turns out, absolutely. I have to be groomed. One thing for sure, Connecticut women's is the Duke of Duke men's. basketball. Uh, yes, like, don't. Come if you're on. not a fan, you hate them. <laughs> oh, you hate on them. Win. That I agree with. Because because yeah. they just win every fucking. Even when they lose, you feel like they won. Like, <laughs> hate them. Everybody. That's how Duke is. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it was like my first USA basketball experience with the national team. Like never played with them before. And again, it's all those names I said earlier. And I was just, and it's so my personality. I was just kind of like <laughs> trying to like ease my way in, not trying to. So, you know, I'm not like playing amazing. I'm not playing bad. I'm just kind of there. I'm just this young person. And she like pulled me over and was just like, like out of nowhere, just pulled me over and had that moment of like, you know, there's a reason you're here. You need to start playing like it. It doesn't matter that I'm Cheryl Swoops. Doesn't matter that I'm Lisa Leslie. Like, Mm. this is why you're here. And like, if you don't like start acting like that, you're going to fuck up and like, this isn't going to be a thing for you. And I was kind of like, oh, shit. So that was like the first spark. And then I had a very similar experience or conversation with Don Staley. That was more like when you're on this team, again, doesn't matter who the names are, anything like you have to run it. Um, mm. So those two. But that show soups co- uh, conversation, I like vividly remember we were in China. I will never forget. I can like picture the wow. locker room. Yeah. Wow. Mel, anyone, a vet for you at any point? The, the Olympic team, but it wasn't. I mean, we had vets, but it, it, was, it was just more like. Like that team was every man for themselves, man. And 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 like mm-hmm. if it wasn't for my you know, myself and Braun and D Way and even Stat uh like coming together, man, we we wouldn't have survived that Olympics. Like emotionally we wouldn't have survived that. Uh but then even on like early like in Denver, like Kenya Martin, you know, even when he came from from New Jersey, like he he gave me a different mindset. Like he enhanced my mindset on being tough and and he was a dog. He was, Kmart a, was a dog. He, he demanded that out of you. You know what I'm saying? Like he's in practice, he used to call me Xavier McDaniel, yo, X-Man here. All you want to do is foul and shit. Like he, you know what I'm saying? Like that was the type of shit we was dealing with. So him, you know, Marcus Camby, uh, you know, 
I had Andre Miller with me. Andre Miller, without even saying nothing, I learned so much from him. You know, he's a real pro. He was a pro. As, as a true professional, yeah. Back then, I didn't understand it. Now I understand what being a true professional is, and I like Andre Miller was one of the guys that he was a true, true pro. Bro. Um, one last um thing I want to point out and, and bring to your attention from Last Dance before we go to the last segment is a quote from MJ. Um, I never thought of myself as an activist. I thought of myself as a basketball player. And Mello and Sue, I know you guys, you know, especially later on in your career, have have both stepped up to the plate with things that were important to you and haven't been afraid to speak out. Um, what was your reaction to hearing Mike say that? I'm 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 it's, it's, I'm too I'm on both sides when it comes to what he said. Okay. And I say that because for one, mentally we're not thinking about nothing else. Right, we're thinking about basketball. So if you talk about deep, deep in the middle of the season, late in the season, going into playoffs, and somebody come to you and say, do a political campaign, you're like, nah, like I ain't, first of all, forget what he said, right? Forget the comment he made about keep everybody buy shoes. But now seeing it and understanding it, I understand where he was at as an athlete. Now, on the flip side of that, as a black athlete at during that time, it was just now seeing it, it was just like, Damn, you you know the impact he would have had if he would have just said something or or did something or just announced something. That's so I see both both sides of it, man. It's I can Barack Obama said something in you know in the in the in the doc where it was just like he made it clear though. He's like back then, I'm talking about back then at that moment. <laughs> he made it clear at that moment, uh the black community was off MJ. And I, I'm, I'm just being blunt with it. it was just the black community was off MJ. And it was because of that, right? The black athlete at the time was the, the most prominent thing. And MJ was the biggest thing to the black athlete into the world. So if he would have said one thing, yo, support my man, boom, 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 whatever. I don't know if things would have been different. You know, hindsight is always 2020, but I see it both sides on as an athlete, what it takes to try to win and what it takes to lock in. And you, you, you're just tunnel vision. You're not thinking about nothing else. But I also see it from the perspective of black community and what they was looking for and the, and the influence that MJ had at that point in time over the black community and what that impacted that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Obama summed it up. And it's like, it's a scenario where you have to go back into that time frame where two things can be true. And like basically what Mello just said, I'm going to echo that. Like two things can be true. And in, and in that time, that's exact. like President Obama summed it up. What I find, what like as my group chat was like popping in that moment, I think we're all like talking about some stuff. <laughs> and it's like nowadays, it's, it's almost as if, you know, that saying where it's like so-and-so walked so so-and-so could run. It's like Michael Jordan, maybe he lived that in that moment. So now as athletes, you know, we kind of learned from that. We saw it we can benefit from from what he had to go through because now even though now is such it's, it's such a more polarizing time so it's so easy to take a stance in my opinion because it's just like what are we talking about you know um but you hope that you learn from people before you and you hope that you know people who have a platform and the power will will you know use it for good so i mean it's tough i mean back then i think it it it's not, it's hard to say like, oh, I see it, but I do. And it's hard to like, when you put yourself on the other foot, like he could have helped, I forget the politician's name, but he could have helped that guy win easily. 
So it's like, like Mel said, it, it, it's the scale. But again, now we're in a time where maybe MJ walks so we could run. I'll tell you what, he would have, he would have been mayor today. If, if, if it was today, <laughs> today, that guy would have been mayor today in Chicago. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now we're going to move on um, to a section we have called No Bullshit, where we keep it real on a topic not related to the Bulls. And uh, this, this week's topic is equality in sports. Uh-oh. On on Friday, a federal Maybe. judge, yeah, on Friday, a federal judge ruled against the U.S. women's national soccer team in their equal pay lawsuit. Um, Sue, in your opinion, how does this ruling, if at all, affect the movement for equality in women's sports? So I obviously have some insider information just because, you know, I was with Megan when she got the actual call saying that this judge had made this judgment um, and just seeing the look on her face, but then also getting to hear her with her teammates and their lawyers kind of talk about some stuff. And um, obviously there's going to be more to come with all of that. I think um, sometimes you do have, sadly, sometimes you do have to take a step or two backwards in order to move forwards. And I think what this, if you actually really look at it and you under, and you, and you read what this judge said, um, I think you'll understand that, I mean, it, it literally is bullshit, some of his opinions, because they're just opinions. They weren't based on precedent. They weren't based on a lot of different things. And I think if you're someone who actually looks, it's just going to make you matter, right? So obviously, I have a stake in this in, in some regard. So it's, of course, it's going to make me bad. But I think if you're just somebody who doesn't know anything and you, and you take time to look, it might even make you, you know, even more angry than you were before. So again, yes, it's like a little bit of a step back because there's going to be some people like, oh, well, the judge said this. But I actually think it's going to rally people is really what I'm trying to say. So again, it, it, it's, it's a bummer, but I know the fight's not over and we'll see what happens. Uh, speaking of the fight not being over, um, Mello, obviously your season and the ending of it, right? We're, we're, we're trying to figure that thing out, right? And Sue, your season and the beginning of it, we're trying to figure that thing out. Um, I want your take on what you guys think may happen. Obviously no one knows. And also your take on, there's been conversation of combining the seasons, right? Uh, the WNBA and the NBA season. Um, so just want your, want your thoughts on that. For me, like, it's like, I don't, I don't, I think, first of all, I think Adam Silver's doing a great job. Let me, let me just take my hat off to Adam Silver and, and, and give that shout out. We don't know where we're going, right? There's no answer. They're trying to exhaust all options. For me, I would love, to, I mean, I would love to come back, right? Because I think if we come back, the, the amount of competitiveness that will take place on a basketball court will be out of this world. And that's just from a competitive standpoint. But from the flip side of that, we can't control, we only can control what we can control. And we only can worry about what we can control. We can't control everything else. So while, you know, we, can, we might open up here, it's, you know, it's propositions of opening up here and opening up there. But at the end of the day, I don't want to open up unless it's right for everybody, for fans, for players, for, for just everybody, businesses as a whole, for everybody. Don't bunker us down in one small place where there's nothing else going on. No, you know, no family, no fans. We play the sport for the fans at the end of the day. We play it for the love of the, you know, for the love of the game, but also for the fans at the end of the day. So if we can't play under the right circumstances, I'd rather get it right than come back and play. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because I, I do think when sports returns, right? And we're that's like a sign that we've kind of like beat this thing. And that we're kind of like sports is what like 
I guess, started this whole thing, right? It's what forced us into lockdown. It's kind of what woke everybody up. And I think when it returns, it'll be a sign that we're kind of like moving away from it. But with that, it's like for the WNBA, which is a little bit different in this regard, like if we could get, I think it would be a morale booster to have sports on TV, even if it was fanless. So there's that aspect of it. And I think for us specifically, because there's not a lot of live sports happening, if we were one of those events, that would be big for our league to just to get eyeballs on it. So I, I know that that's something that on our side we're, we're kind of talking about a lot. Um, but to Carmelo's point, not at like no one's trying to put anyone at risk. No one's trying to make this. And it, it really just depends on what angle you look at it. Are you looking at it from like a money standpoint, like the revenue versus this tickets, fan, da, 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 da. or are you just looking at it from a like I said, a morale booster standpoint? It, like I could literally wear each of those hats every day and feel different about it. But at the end right now, as an older player, I'm like, I do just want to play. Like I don't have much time. <laughs> so there is a small, like, I don't want this so thing I'm to put me into retirement. Play, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of this, like, it's all these emotions, right? Like you want to just play, but like you said, it's like, you want to do it. it. It's better with fans, of course. So it's like, it's, it's a lot happening. It's a lot happening. Mav, I want to give you the opportunity. Um, you know, we talked a little earlier about, you know, women's equality and, and, and uh, you've built a company, you know, on the back, you know, uninterrupted on the back of empowering, you know, not only athletes, but all people. Um, want, would love your thoughts on just women's equality and sport and uh, how you feel about that. Yeah, I think to echo what Sue said, um, it's an ongoing challenge. It's never ending. There's no... Just like for civil rights that we've been fighting since the day the first ship, you know, landed in 1619 on the shores of this country uh, for rights for black people. It's never, it's never, there's no moment where you just stick the flag and go, victory, we now own this land. There's, and for women's rights in sports, it's an ongoing challenge. There's many issues to it, whether it be money. I was just talking to... Um, an athlete today, a female athlete, is talking about, you know, women arguing with refs is viewed differently and women arguing and being aggressive in society, period, is viewed differently. And I think it's an ongoing fight. And, and when you know that, when you sign up, as Sue has, as we have as a company, as Mello has, as an, as an athlete who cares about people, you sign up knowing you're going to lose some of the rounds. There's no... Even Floyd Mayweather went 50-0 or Ali, who's the best fight ever. They don't. They never won every round. You lose some rounds. So to Sue's point, this is a, you, you lost a round, got lost. But it doesn't mean it's over or anywhere near. It's just, it just started, actually. Like the the fight that that Sue is at the front of and 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 Megan uh, are at the front forefront of is actually just started. It's like it's so early. This judge didn't end it. It's it's really like the second round, maybe the beginning of the second round, because, you know, 10 years ago, nobody even gave a fuck about this topic or was even discussing it. So the fact that we're even discussing it, it's the beginning. So you lose a round, you take one on the jaw, you say, I ate that one. That wasn't enough to knock me out. We're still here. So that's how I look at it. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, Mav, you, you just gave me a perfect segue of a, taking one on the jaw and losing a round, but coming back and fighting um, Melo, I don't know if you realize, like, you're one of the great stories of, like, this season, right? Your, your story and your situation. I don't know if you remember, we did dinner at Carbone. 
Of course and, I remember. And I, and I asked you, I said, yo, you weren't playing yet. You weren't on a team. And I said, yo, are you still working out? And you said, and I hope you don't mind me sharing. You said, P, I work out every day. I think you said six days a week. And I think you said you walk from your crib to the gym. <laughs> and on that walk every day, you ask yourself, there's no guarantee that this shit's going to work out. Yeah. But you're just doing it because that was a commitment to yourself. And I yep. want to say four days later, you, you you ended up signing with Portland from that dinner. I'll only take half the credit for you signing because of the dinner. But but I wanted you to talk a little bit about like what this season's been like for you and your journey, please. Man, it's 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 been, I think now it's I don't want to say satisfied, but I, I would say this is a chapter of my life, right? And if I ever write a book, this would be this chapter would be highlighted of my life. I mean, you gotta you gotta think. And I'm just gonna give you a four year, a four year span of, of in, in, in a quick in a quick sense. I go from New York, making an All Star game, averaging 23, 22, 23 in the Eastern Conference, dealing with everything that I was dealing with, uh, off the court organizational structure, just everything I was dealing with in New York. Every you know you guys know that. Uh, getting traded the day before media day. Uh, to OKC, going to OKC, actually really liking it, didn't work out for whatever reason, to going to Houston the following year, uh, to playing nine games, right? The first time I've ever come off the bench in 15 years, ever, to come off the bench. So I, that's, that was an adjustment for me, leading to having a year off, right? A year off trying to rebuild myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I don't think nobody, uh, except for the people that I actually talked to, like close close people, which is maybe four or five people, and you guys was a, you know, you guys experienced that. I don't think nobody will understand what I went through emotionally to get through and to be where I'm at today. I'm talking about doubting myself. I'm talking about mentally giving up, like wanting to give up. Uh, looking for advice from PRU and, and seeing math and, 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 you know, calling up, you know, LeBron, best friends and, and, and dealing with that and trying to, and Kobe, you know, helped me through that tremendously. Dealing with that and being able to come out now on the other side of it, stepping away from the game and being able to come back, nobody has ever did that but MJ. And, 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 and seeing it from a different perspective, right? Uh, your mindset, how you approach the game now, how you approach organizational structure, being smarter, being wiser. But I couldn't have did that if I didn't work on me within that time frame. And if I didn't work on me during that time frame, I wouldn't be able to sit and talk about that story. And for me, this season, like now is just like, it's exhaling, it's like, damn, like, okay. I'm, like, I, like I came back, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to do my thing and it's just, shit, we gotta deal with this shit, all right, cool. But, you know, it's, it's all about how you perceive it. It's all about one's perception on a situation. Like, we can sit and we can solve about what's going on, which there are, you know, people dying d during this time. But on the flip side of that, it's all about how you see that. And I, I, I try to put perspective on everything that, that's going on right now because from a from – a, I, 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 hit, I hit rock bottom, right? I hit rock bottom emotionally and – I had to build myself back up, basically by myself to get here where I'm at today to be able to tell this story. So this season will always like 
be the highlight, one of the highlight chapters of any story that I, that <laughs> I ever know. No doubt. Kudos to you, Mel, man, for real. Like I said, it's honestly one of the, I don't know if it's even talked about enough, one of the great stories of, of this season. Um, before we wrap, quick shout out to Sue, because Love is Uninterrupted, a campaign around homophobic bullying awareness created by you, Megan Rapino, and Uninterrupted, was recently nominated for a Diversity and Inclusion Webby Award. Sue, this is huge. Would love your thoughts on being nominated for a Webby Award. Well, yeah, once I, I saw the news that that the hoodie and the um, just the uh, whole concept behind it was being nominated, um, it kind of took me back to when we first started to create the hoodie and it all came together. Obviously, not just me, not just Megan, everyone involved. Um, that hoodie has such a deep meaning for us. It speaks to our lives and wanting, you know, to be able to help other people in their path. Um, so truly an honor. And, and I hope we win that thing. <laughs> so I want to say congrats. And um, to everyone that who's watching or listening, head over to WebbyAwards.com and vote. Um, I want to thank this all-star cast for joining us. We obviously ran like an hour long, but this conversation felt like it was five minutes long, man. So I appreciate y'all joining, man. Before we get out of here, I want to make sure you guys subscribe right here on the Uninterrupted YouTube channel. For our podcast listeners, we ain't forget about you. Head to the Uninterrupted WRTS feed available wherever you get your pods. We'll see y'all back next week on episode four. Signing off. PR. Yeah.